Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today and today in the show we're going to talk a little about sunflowers and late season scouting. If you've got any questions for us though or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm and in your crops we would love to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get into the Ag PhD mailbag in just a little bit, answering your calls and questions. Uh, actually, let's see. Apparently Darren's calling in. I don't know where Darren got lost at, but anyway, he was in the studio. Hey, Darren, how's it going? Do we have him? Maybe we yep, don't. Yep, we do. Yep. Okay. Yep. No, I'm doing good. I, I'm just uh, actually, you know, this time of year, there's a lot of stuff to see out in the fields, and I'm just coming in from from fields. We've got some some uh, different corn genetics trials that we're looking at, different trait packages, and we had some extreme weather come through where we had some wind, we had some rain events finally, and hail, and we had some hail, and so just evaluating how some of these hybrids responded to that differently it was it's, it's always interesting to see because you you kind of can look at at standability and what the stocks are like what the roots are like but when you actually get tested and you have that rainfall event and and it's followed with a bunch of wind you can really see okay here's a bunch of hybrids right together that got the same wind how did they all respond and you know there are some hybrids you expect problems from and there's others that you say wow i wasn't expecting that and so you have to kind of look and double-check other places, too. Yeah, but here's the thing. I never buy into that, oh, this hybrid stands great and that one doesn't. I, and the reason why is because we've proven it wrong so many times over the years. What matters most is great drainage, so you can get roots deep early, and then having great fertility. And then also planting population plays a big role in this. If you try planting at too high a population, your stocks are just flat out going to be thinner. I mean, unless, of course, you really want to bump up your fertility, but most people don't. So if you have a thinner planting population, you have lots of fertility, and you have great drainage, I don't care what hybrid it is. It all stands better, and nothing's going to be perfect out there. What we also see is it matters a lot depending on when the rain, wind, hail, when all that stuff hits exactly. Because, for example, if you're planting an 85-day corn and a 95-day corn in the same field, well, if the wind came a week earlier or a week later, the 85-day corn could go down or the 95-day corn could go down. So it, it really all depends on what growth stage you're in. The other thing, Darren, I know you've talked about a lot in the past is the time of day when the hybrids are the most sensitive. So do you want to explain that just a little bit more? Well, you think about what those plants are doing. They are gathering sunlight energy during the daylight hours. And they're also suffering through the heat and stress and whatnot. And so at nighttime, they're trying to recover. They've, they've gathered in all these things, and now they've got to put it together. And when we catch winds that happen, you know, maybe 2 a.m. to 8 a.m., something like that, in that type of window, the plant's really susceptible because these cells are just big and juicy, and they haven't really hardened off yet. And so there's a, a process that the plant goes through. So that time of day, really sensitive to those big winds, where if you get it in the middle of the day, those plants are in defense mode to the mo for the most part, and then the wind isn't as big a deal. Now, granted, if you get a 100-mile-an-hour wind, it, it probably doesn't really matter what time of day it is, 
But if you get that 50-mile-an-hour wind that's kind of a, a normal thing, you'll see some gusts like that, it can really wreak some havoc in the early morning hours. On Thursday night, last Thursday night, we supposedly had 57-mile-an-hour winds, according to our weather station, South Dakota State University weather station, that's right at the Ag PhD field day site. And so that's what Darren's talking about. We got roughly an inch of rain along with that 57-mile-an-hour wind. That all came in about 20 to maybe 30 minutes at the most, and there was a little bit of light hail with that as well. So it did strip stuff up a little bit, leaned a few things, but overall, Darren, I thought stuff looked pretty good. What do you think? Well, for the most part, I, I would say we've got some soybeans that are going to yield 25 or 30 bushels, though. But yeah, it's not a huge widespread area. It's just that, unfortunately, we had a couple of fields that happened to be in the path of it. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, we've been really lucky over the years with hail. And usually our hail comes earlier. So when hail comes the first part of June, we lose very little in terms of yield. When it comes the first part of August, that's a whole different deal. So, yes, we still have beans that are putting on flowers. We still can gain some of that yield back. But the problem is there were pods that got lost. And even the leaf damage that's caused right now is kind of harmful. Whereas leaf damage in corn, I mean, sure, it makes a little difference for your tonnage if you're going after silage, but leaf damage this late in corn where we're at R4 and maybe even R5, uh, very, very little yield loss, even if you have 20 or even 30% leaf defoliation. So yeah, it all depends. Well, just like we were talking about with that standability thing and and the, uh, the, the different maturities out there, timing is really everything and the problem is we just don't know when hail is going to come or when that big windstorm is going to come all right darren you still with us yes i am just also <laughs> watching a helicopter do some aerial application and you know that's one of the things when you're out in the country you kind of got to keep your kind of keep your eyes open because you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, when you get a storm like this, Brian, that's the other question we have to answer a lot is, well, will it help me to put on a, a foliar fungicide to protect against disease? Because we certainly see the opportunity for disease to get into these plants and get beaten up. Yeah, it's just when you start getting to the 10th of August, you're getting down to the end. I don't really think at this point it's going to help us a whole lot on corn that tasseled a month ago. On soybeans, could it help us? Yes, it could. But you know, if it doesn't get done really, really soon, then I just don't see the point. If it's getting into late August, I wouldn't do it. Right now, yes, I probably would. But part of the reason why I would is soybeans are worth 13 bucks. So when you have that good a price for grain, it's like, yep, I, I'll, I'll take a few more chances. Because when you stop and think about it, our fungicide prices this year were actually slightly cheaper than last year when we had $7 soybeans. Well, this year we have $13 soybeans, so the chance for a good return on investment, much, much, much better this year. Anyway, we'll talk sunflowers right after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Just talking sunflowers today and late season scouting, but if you've got any questions about the crops you're raising on your farm, we'd be happy to answer those or just visit with you about that a little bit. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. All right, so first in the show, we've got Ryan Hunt with us. He is with FMC up in North Dakota. Ryan, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent. All right, so we're talking sunflowers today, late season here. What what are you looking for in sunflowers right now? You know, so right now I think we're most crop is starting to bloom or getting close to bloom, at least up north here. Um, so it's really time to start looking for those insects. The big ones would be the banded sunflower moth and the red sunflower weevil. Um, you know, and then there's also just regular sunflower moth, but those would be your main three to be out there looking for right now. And the other thing with all the small grains and early season crops being harvested, um, we've had a lot of grasshoppers this year. So when everything starts getting cut, those sunflowers are still green and everything really starts to migrate to where, where they're still green to chew on. Yeah, I agree with that. A hundred percent. Okay, so talk to us just a little bit about thresholds. I mean, obviously, commodity prices are a little bit different this year than they've been some other years. Input costs a little bit different. So you, you mentioned three different insects, well, actually four different insects. What do you kind of look for when you're out there? Do you have any certain thresholds where you say, yep, you definitely need to pull the trigger? Yeah, you know, it kind of depends on your crop. You know, the um, if you're if you're growing confection sunflowers, it's pretty much uh, you got to spray them no matter what because no <laughs> one wants any of those little bugs or larvas in yep. their big sunflower seeds, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> um, but you know, with the uh, oils, it's a, it's quite different. Um, you know, depending on the pest, those adult moths the banded moss, you know, if there's, you go out there and you can find, you know, 
four to five per head you definitely want to treat um you know if there's just one here or there it's not really a big deal there's really no reason to go out and spray um the weevils you need a little higher number um you know getting into that double digits and consistently finding them but it's definitely not a bad thing to you know keep an eye on and stay on top of yeah the thing i often bring up to guys though is when we start talking about thresholds it's really additive so let's say that you have four different insects out there like you had mentioned maybe you have all four of them, um, you don't have to hit a threshold level of any one. If you have quite a few of each one, you might as well go and get it treated because insecticide is not very expensive anymore. And so I I guess I just always encourage people to take a look at that. I I did want to bring up too, since you mentioned grasshoppers, they're going to move obviously a lot different than some of these other insects. So there are a lot of people that are interested in, uh, let's say, just spraying the borders of their fields. How do you feel about that in terms of getting that grasshopper control, just doing the borders rather than the whole fields? You know, there's a lot of growers that do that. Um, I think if you're out there early enough and they're just moving in, it is probably okay. But at the same time, you know, those things... When, it, when there's green fields everywhere, I think it's probably okay. I don't disagree with it, but when we're getting to this point, you know, and those sunflowers are the only thing out there that's green, they're going to they're gonna overtake that field. And I think you want to just get something out there everywhere to keep them out and, you know, kind of repel them at least a little bit for the time being. But definitely want to focus on those borders where they're just starting to move in. You want to stay ahead of them. You know, that's the big thing with scouting and paying attention to what's out there you know you can you can get out there ahead of time and kill them or you know your day late they are already through that whole field yeah the other problem too with grasshoppers getting this late in the season is once they've reached the adult stage so if you see wings on them they're in the adult stage but at that point they're just so much more difficult to control so years ago when i used to work for fmc when i was in college um, we sprayed furidan and the guys that didn't spray furidan, they were spraying parathion. Okay, well, either furidan or parathion, I mean, they were lethal to grasshoppers in like three seconds. Whereas these insecticides that we have today, they're a lot safer for human beings to be around. But the problem is they're also a lot safer for grasshoppers to be around. So we don't see fantastic immediate control. So my point is that I think they can get out further into that field and do more damage on us if we don't spray just beyond the borders anyway. So anyway, well, Ryan, hey, it's been great talking to you. Great stuff today. Really appreciate it. And best of luck to you up there. Yep. Thanks. You have a good one too. All right. uh, We're going to jump back to the phone lines here. We got uh, Dizzy calling from out in Illinois. Um, Hey, I hear we got a fall weed control question. Yeah. Do you uh, you have anything that would kill water hemp and mare's tail and keep it under control through the whole wheat season and apply it on in the fall. And the second part of that question is, uh, do you have, does Husky 2,4-D or any other uh, post-emerge herbicide put on in the spring have any effect on yield? Say that one more time. What put on in the spring? Uh, any herbicide put on in the spring, you know, uh, like the first part of May, does yep. that have any any yield effect? Um, I'm assuming 2,4-D might, but 
does like husky or oh, some of the more oh. mild herbicides. Okay, that's that's kind of where I was going. I just want to make sure we're still talking wheat. So any so yeah. all right. So fall for water hemp and mare's tail. Spring, if you spray anything, will it hurt yield? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So in the fall, the best thing you can do for water hemp and mare's tail would be sharpen. Um, you can use that in front of wheat. Uh, use two ounces per acre. It's going to cost you probably nine bucks, something like that. It's not super expensive. Um, it's not going to last forever. That's that's the problem with just about any herbicide we've got. It'll last for a while, but it's it's not going to stick around forever. The good news is with wheat, usually the stand will get so thick that it'll choke out a lot of other weeds. So as long as you get ahead of it, you're in pretty good shape. So generally what I will say for a guy who's got water hemp and mare's tail, just go sharpen. You have to use it pre-emerge. So you can do it pre-plant or after planting. It's just it has to be sprayed before the wheat comes out of the ground. Uh, use two ounces. In the spring, if I had the same weeds, water, hemp, and mare's tail that I'm after, yes, husky is probably my first choice. And will it hurt yield? No, we really don't see that. What husky is, it's a combination of old buckteral, which is great, been tested for 40 years. We've never really seen yield loss with that. But it can burn the leaves a little bit, especially if you got a cool and damp spring. So don't get too worried about it. That damage you see is just cosmetic. Uh, but along with that, there's an HPPD. So that turns weeds white. And that's what's the, the part in there that's really good on the water hemp. Mare's tail in the spring in wheat, we, winter wheat, we don't typically see a big problem. Husky will, you know, suppress it a little bit, but I, I don't foresee you having a major issue if you put that sharpen down in the fall. So that'd be my recommendation to you. Sharpen in the fall, husky in the spring, and then your water hemp mare's tail problem will mostly go away in your wheat. Okay. All right. That's awesome. Do you think 240 could hurt yield in wheat? Oh yeah. Yeah, 2,4-D will hurt yield in wheat. Um, it, it's it's usually not going to hurt it real bad if you get it when it's small, if you spray when the, the wheat is relatively small. But as the wheat gets bigger, then the damage gets worse. So it, we usually only figure maybe a bushel or two loss when you're spraying 2,4-D. So I don't love it, but sometimes we have to use 2,4-D to get certain weeds under control if we don't have any other options. It's just that fortunately in wheat, we've, they've been coming with more good options like Husky, for example, or Sharpen pre-emerge. So that's pretty nice. I think about, we used to spray a lot of 2,4-D in corn too until they started coming with better herbicides and thankfully they did. And since then our yields have gone way up. All right. Hey, uh, thanks okay, for the call thank today, so Desi. Yep. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yep. All right. Bye. Yeah, I, I will just say about a couple of weeks ago when we were having the Egg PhD Field Day, I answered, I don't know, 50 questions on water hemp. <laughs> it's like water hemp and Palmer pigweed are, I don't care what crop you're raising, like uh, Desi was raising uh, wheat. We raise a lot of corn and soybeans, some oats, a number of other crops. It's, you know, for guys, it's just water hemp's a real problem, but we have plenty of herbicides to control it. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk more sunflowers next. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. 
AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio talking about sunflowers and late season scouting. Just happen to be out in the little bit of sunflowers that we've got in our farm. We don't have very much. We just have a few plots at the Ag PhD field day site. I was taking a look at, at some corn over there, as we talked about earlier. I uh, got Adam Varenhorst with us right now with South Dakota State University. Obviously, South Dakota has a lot of acres of sunflowers on most years. Adam, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. All right, so late season scouting and sunflowers. It seems like there's always something happening in a sunflower field, whether that be bugs or birds or disease issues. What kind of things are happening right now? Well, you know, you're 100% right, and part of that's because sunflowers are native to North America, and so are the insect pests. And so right now, uh, actually, we were just out in fields yesterday. Our biggest problem in South Dakota for sunflower probably going to be red sunflower seed weevils and so the threshold for those is four to six weevils per head and while scouting we were seeing fields that range from the r2 to about the r5 probably 5.3 growth stage and we were seeing 
red sunflower seed weevils per head that range from somewhere in the 10 to probably closer to five or 600 range. Oh, wow. Uh, so much over the thresholds. And that's kind of been the trend in South Dakota for the last couple of years. And the big issue with those things is that they lay their eggs and the larvae go into the seed themselves and they'll feed partially on the seed, but essentially destroy every seed that they go into. Uh, and so they can cause a lot of issues and down the road, they can always also cause some issues with storage. So one of those pests we really don't want to be feeding on the head. And when we have as many as we do, that can cause a lot of problems. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, the scouting is is super important. When Now, obviously, we can't go back in time, but how soon did this problem start? Have they been out there for a while? Uh, you know, this year, they typically, and this is kind of every year, but this year we've noticed them maybe a little earlier than normal. Uh, we think that it has a lot to do with the weather we've had. Uh, the warm temperatures all season and the dry conditions, I, uh, we have seen kind of drive a lot of insects forward in where we would normally see them this time of year. So a lot of times we see the red sunflower seed weevils showing up and really uh, starting to congregate on the heads closer to flowering. And so in some of those fields, since they're a little behind schedule, the field is, uh, it's a little earlier than what we might normally expect to see that many weevils present. So uh, it's not too late. Uh, we typically say that management uh, should be considered until we hit the R5.5 uh, Stage. So that's when 50% of the head is in full uh, actual flowering, and not just open. And it's pretty easy to tell that because when it, the head, as the head flowers, it starts on the outside and moves towards the center. Uh, it'll have little florets show up. And so when we're out scouting, it's always easy to look and figure out the percentage from the exterior to interior, how much of that head is actually flowering. And so right now is kind of prime time to be uh, gearing up to spray. And we saw a lot of planes going yesterday in fields. And so it's not a big surprise, though, with the number of weevils we're seeing. Yeah, that is that is a crazy high number. That's that's pretty scary. How about disease? When you're out there, Adam, did you notice any disease issues? Or has it been so dry this year that's not as much of a problem? You know, I, I think that's 100% right. It is so dry uh, in a lot of those areas. And, you know, a lot of times... Uh, we'll start to see some disease show up this time of the year, especially when we have humidity in the field. And this year when we were out scouting, uh, you know, the sunflowers are a little smaller than normal, uh, probably due to the drought. They aren't, uh, although the leaves are starting to uh, canopy and fill the rows, not quite as much as we would see during a normal year where there's uh, plenty of moisture. So, you know, when we were out there, uh, we were, not looking extensively for disease, but I didn't see any really signs or symptoms uh, that we would normally see. So a lot of times we'll see things like coma black spot or phytophthora showing up on the plants. And uh, later in the season, we might see some other signs on the head uh, that some insects can also cause some issues with increasing the risk for disease in sunflower when they burrow through the heads. But didn't really see any of that at this point in time. And Maybe things will change if we get rain, but right now it looks like the, the weevils will probably be our biggest issue. And then, like you mentioned, always the blackbirds show up and they cause a lot of problems too. Yeah, if we can just find that uh, deterrent or the blackbirds like something else, even more than sunflowers, that would be a wonderful <laughs> thing, I think. Talking with Adam Barenhorst here with South Dakota State University. Adam, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Got our friend Lee Lubers on. He farms in central South Dakota, and sunflowers certainly grown in that area. Lee, thanks for joining us.
Hey, no problem. All right, so you heard about the red sunflower seed weevils. Uh, are growers seeing that in your area this year? Uh, I think he's absolutely right that uh, the dryness is bringing out uh, <laughs> more insect pressure than average. Yeah, yeah. I know you've talked about that before on the show, just how you got to be out there early and often, it seems like, when, when the insects are a challenge in sunflowers. How how late in the season are you watching for that? Is it pretty much all season long, or is there a point where you say, you know what, uh, there isn't going to be a return anymore to keep going? Uh, we always want to make sure we're focusing at the uh, flowering time frame. Uh, that's critical. Uh Otherwise, if if you miss that window, you're gonna just you're gonna give up a bunch of yield. Uh, but after that, after they flower, then we're pretty much safe. You know, one of the things that that you talk about a lot with the Extreme Ag Group, and I know at the Ag PhD Field Day, uh, you were talking about just some of the things that it doesn't seem like big things all the time, but there there are little things that growers can do to to keep improving their performance and taking it up to the next step. What are some of the things in sunflowers at this stage? Are we past many of those, or are there still a few extra things when you're out spraying an insecticide? Is there something else you should be doing too? Uh, we've had extremely good luck, uh, including a fungicide. Uh, it seems like sunflowers respond better to fungicide than any other crop that we've ever raised. That's that's impressive. Now, with this year, Adam was talking about, well, we don't have much disease pressure, but the plant health benefits have been big in other crops. Are they big for sunflowers too? Uh, from what we've seen, they're uh, very responsive to PGRs earlier and then uh, fungicides uh, at uh, heading. We've seen very good responses. And these newer fungicides, uh, they're multi-mode now, and part of it is driven by the plant health stress reduction aspects of it. You know, with the sunflowers getting this late in the season, obviously there isn't a whole lot we can do about weed control, but are, are you seeing other things out in your area right now, or is there anything on your farm you're focusing on at this point in the season? Uh, sunflowers, we're, we're good in that department. Uh, we are uh, checking field borders on everything, uh, Palmer amaranth and water hemp have started to creep in the area, so we're looking for anything. We, are, we go on a uh, almost daily Palmer patrol, as we call it, uh, just making sure we don't have any creep into our fields. Yeah, we were doing some some weed control on the outside edges of our fields too. And you, you know, when you raise a crop like sunflowers, you make a good point. We can't allow weeds to get a foothold anywhere on the farm if you want to have sunflowers in the rotation. Uh, do you have a certain way that you would work sunflowers into your rotation with the crops growing in your area? If you're going to be raising sunflowers, would you necessarily want to be following a wheat crop, or or where does it work the best? Uh, we've had our best luck uh, going into corn stalks. And several years ago, I read a research article. There is actually uh, some beneficial fungi from the decay of corn stalks is very synergistic with sunflowers. And we always seem to get better yields on sunflowers after corn stalks than wheat stubble. And after I read that, I realized that's probably a big factor. Yeah, yeah, that is that is really interesting, and I know uh, people take the crop rotation thing really seriously. How about cover crops in your area, Lee? Does that come into play at all? Do you like to plant into anything that's green, or if you have cover crops, you like to wipe them out in the fall? Uh, we haven't been doing too much for cover crops. This year we're so dry, uh, everything would be laying in dry ground if we tried seeding it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, uh, good luck to you here the rest of this season, Lee. Hopefully you guys catch a little bit more moisture. We, we've been catching a little bit here now finally, so maybe maybe that area will spread. That'd be a good deal. That'd be awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Lee. Really appreciate it. You bet. Talking about sunflowers and some of the late season scouting things, but our phone lines are open as well for your agronomic questions, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we are diving into the Ag PhD mailbag with your calls at 
44 Ag PhD and your questions, radio at agphd.com. And we got some soil tests sent to us from Andy, and we got him on the phone line as well. Hey, Andy, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing pretty well. So we got a bunch of soil tests here. Can you give us a little background behind this? Um, well, yeah, it's kind of a new farm to us. We've only had it a few years, and um, <clears throat> we're on a corn, bean, winter wheat rotation, and we always intensely soil sample after wheat, so this is the first time I've really had a good look at it. And um, so I'm low in K and magnesium, and um, I guess my question is, if I wanted to take the K to 4%, what do you think the target should be for magnesium? Okay, so what we talk about all the time with K is getting it in the range of 4 to 8%, and yours are averaging about 1.5% roughly. So, yes, yep. that tells us the likelihood of potassium giving you a good return on investment is pretty high. With magnesium, it's a little bit different story because we've got some areas that are not too bad in terms of uh, of their level. So let's yeah. see, I'm seeing as high as uh, looks like 13%, which we would normally call just fine. So And as low as 3.7 on a couple of these tests, and that's that's really concerning. Yeah. So I, I do, you know, I've got the ability to vary rate, and I want to, you Great. know, and I'd like to build yep. and or balance. Yep. Um, so I guess, but I guess, is there a risk... Let's say I'm, I want to take every every target to ten percent. Is there a risk of overshooting? <laughs> well, there's always and, a know, risk like, of overshooting. Let's say the limeing yeah. story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, you you're talking to the guys who have overshot before yeah. on some things, <laughs> but, <laughs> especially calcium has been really tough for us. Oh, but let me you know. Here's the thing: magnesium is is so important to the plant and. Yeah, we've got a little ways to go here, and I don't know if you're going to like the bill if you want to shoot all those areas up there in a hurry, but I'll give you a little background here. I just had a um, uh, back and forth with one of my friends here this week. They had a field that a lot of the data looked fairly similar to this. It, it was ground where they were short in magnesium. They, they had just a lot of different things to work on there base saturation K was really low like this and they ended up spending a bunch of money over a three-year time period trying to build things up and they increased their corn yields by double in four years so they were really really happy just thrilled they sent me some yield monitor footage as they were harvesting here this week that's cool it did cost some money it did take a few years they they noticed some things right away the first year or two but it really started kicking in now. So, yeah, it, it definitely can be done. I love that you can variable rate. That's exactly what I would do. Well, okay, Let, let's talk about this just a little bit more, though. This is relatively heavy ground. We're talking in the 20s for cation exchange capacity. So our target for magnesium is 12. Now, even if you're at 10, I'm, I'm still feeling pretty good. So I'm not going to spend money going beyond 10, and then I'm going to see how I right. turn out. But here's my question. How big are these grids or zones? They're two and a half acre zones. Okay. And what what we did is we've got repeatable location points where we pulled the cores. Right. So we stop in four places in yep. that two and a half acres. Yep. So we've we've got repeatable spots to go back. So um, yeah, I'm pretty confident in 
and the testing, you know, how we sampled it. Sure. Yep. Okay. Um, and part of the reason why I asked that is you've got one spot here that is 9.2% sodium, and a lot of these other figures are almost off the charts. So I, I just want to make sure when we've got such tremendous variance in just there are, let's see, I'm seeing just a handful of spots that are like that, that we've got that kind of figured out where it is. Because the problem Darren and I had is we were doing a lot of five-acre stuff, and it was one acre that was causing us a problem, or maybe two, and we treated the whole five acres accordingly. And so then we messed up another two or three acres that we shouldn't have and overspent there. So that's all I was worried about is, you know, sometimes what we'll tell people is if you've got a couple, three spots in the field that widely vary from the whole rest of the field, that's where I might zoom down in a little more and and cut my two and a half acre grid or two and a half acre zone in half or something like that, just to make sure I'm doing it right. But anyway, yeah, I think you're on the right path here. We want to build K. Uh, you need to build magnesium at least in some of the areas. Uh, those would be two of the most important things. I also saw that sulfur is low, phosphorus at least in some areas is low. So you know there are a few other things that you could work on. But uh, but yeah, those are the main things. Now, wouldn't like my sulfur always test low because I yep. always sample this time of the year yep. after wheat harvest. So yep. it always would test low this time of the year. Is I, that not? I don't have any big problem with it testing low at this time of year. It's just that we have to make sure that there gets to be enough for the crop well, when you I, need it. And but, I think we're going to need a lot of sulfur, Brian, because we got 90% base saturation calcium in a high pH exactly. heavy soil. So we're going to need some sulfur out there to try to loosen things up and, and yep. allow the potassium and magnesium to attach. And that's where I was going with this. So your pH is average 7.5. And, and here's the other thing. When you've got soil cation exchange capacity in the 20s and even some higher than that into the 30s, sulfur doesn't leach very easily. So for the guys that we talk to that they've got a 10 CEC and they have all kinds of rainfall and they're in the southern United States, that's a whole different deal. They have to constantly spoon feed sulfur. But for you and me with heavy soils like like we've got and we also freeze a few months out of the year, you know, we just don't see that leaching. So I, honestly, I want to finish the season on a Malik 3 test with sulfur a lot higher than a lot of these tests are 12, 13, something like that. That just tells me we may have had that crop run a little short. And to Darren's point, we need more sulfur out there because of your super high calcium levels to try to free up some of the, the nutrients that are in that soil. So, you know, honestly, on a Malik 3, I'm, t I'm targeting 100 parts per million on sulfur. Uh, you know, at some point during the spring, I'm targeting 100, then I don't mind finishing in the 20 to 50 range, but I just feel like you're you're pretty low on that sulfur side. Okay. Oh, let Interesting. me let me throw yeah. one other quick thing out for you with this K. Darren just talked about building over 3 years. What what I always advise people to do is whenever you see K bottoming out for price, like for example last fall and I I'm sorry, it Potash price is a lot higher now. But anyway, the point is when you own ground and you're looking for opportunities to build soil, last fall was a great opportunity. We'll get those opportunities again. And so, yeah, we would say try to bump up to, you know, 4% as much as you can over as long a period as it takes you. But then when you get some of those years, when you see potash going cheap, like for us in our farm, we took a lot of our fields from the four or five range up to seven last fall. 
I was going to say, interestingly, like this farm, it's yeah, it's relatively new to us, and uh, our winter wheat yielded like 20 to 25 bushel an acre less than some of the land closer to home that has, you know, much better uh, potassium and magnesium levels. We've owned it for a lot longer. Sure, but sure. It's, it was treated, you know, the, the nitrogen and the sulfur program, fungicide program was identical. It just, uh, yep. yeah, you could tell there's in the background, there's a problem. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that all makes sense. And, you know, when we look at this soil test, we figure out, okay, well, what do we need to improve on? But it shows you the value of soil tests. And you made the comment, okay, you do corn, beans, winter wheat, and you soil test at that point. And that's great. But anytime that we're picking up new ground, this is like the first thing that we're trying to do because the sooner you can get those things fixed that you can obviously see, oh, wow, potassium's really low. I don't care what crop you're going to try to raise out there. That potassium level is going to hurt yield. And the sooner we recognize it, the sooner we can get that uh, that that problem solved. But anyway, you mentioned about the variable rate, and that's great for a lot of stuff. But, I mean, the highest level I see here on potassium is 2%. So, I mean, quite frankly, you could put a blanket rate of potassium out there. Some of the other stuff, yes, you got to variable rate it and that's awesome and in the future you'll have to variable rate the k but right now i just get as much out there as you can afford and it's probably going to pay yeah so uh, one other thing uh it was a poultry farm yep. like years gone back and i noticed that the boron levels like they seem to be pretty high like at yeah hey, yeah hey andy uh we got to talk about that right after this break stay tuned you're listening to ag phd radio in an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. AgPHD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Thanks for joining us today here on Ag PhD Radio. We're live in the Morton studio just talking about sunflowers and also answering your calls and questions. So right before the break, we had Andy uh, talking to us about his soil tests, and he just made the comment this is an old poultry farm and the boron levels are high. And so Darren and I were taking a look at that over the break, and we've got roughly, let's call it one and a half to even as high as two parts per million on a Malik 3 test for boron, which is a good level. It's not a great level, but it's a good level, and it is you know, a little higher than what we're seeing out of a lot of these, relatively speaking, out of a lot of these other nutrients. So why could that possibly be? Well, part of, so Darren just mentioned this um, during our break. He goes, well, look at the organic matter. It's 4%. When you have 4% organic matter, yes, boron is a little bit leachable, but organic matter can actually hold some of those leachable nutrients better like boron. And that's maybe why the boron has kind of stuck around. So Andy, that's kind of our theory. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Okay. Well, you, you know, int- I, I have not applied any boron to this farm, and we've grown corn and dry beans and wheat. And, yeah, so it's interesting. It's just I haven't put any on. I've, you yeah. know, I put it on the rest of my acres on corn and, uh, and my beans and starting to on the wheat too, actually. And I'm seeing a response on some of my other land uh, where I put it on winter wheat. Sure. So, uh, but... Yeah. So. Yeah, and for as heavy no. as as heavy as your soil is, and as high as your calcium levels are. So again, for our listeners, uh, his his cation exchange capacity twenties to even thirties. So it's very heavy ground, and then his calcium levels are in the eighties to even ninety percent calcium. So when your calcium's that high, your soil's that heavy, uh, your organic matter levels that high, you can actually have boron levels much higher than that, and it should be safe to to every crop. So I'm not super worried about continuing to bump the boron just a little bit because quite honestly on our farm uh, in these same types of soils just like you got here uh, we'll shoot for three parts per million plus and we are seeing some response to that okay okay all right well that's great well thanks for taking my call you bet thanks andy appreciate it all right let's get back to the phone let's get john with us out in maryland john how are you doing today how you guys doing you know, we're doing pretty good. Uh, Janelle was saying you were talking about carbohydrates, and I think it's such an interesting topic when we get into plant growing and uh, animal growing. When we think about plants that are catching sunlight energy and using that energy to break down carbon dioxide and water, and they make sugars or glucose or carbohydrates, everyone look at it, that they store, and then they use some of that to 
uh, grow seed and, and just grow the plant in general, or they get eaten by an animal who consumes those carbohydrates and breathes out carbon dioxide and the process starts all over. It's, it's kind of interesting. What, what were you kind of curious about on, on this? So uh, I got two questions. The first question is on energy. Um, I was listening to y'all show about ethanol and, uh, and Brian was saying about high compression motors. So I decided to re-remember about high compression motors and, um, and my buddy and I were, we're racing. Uh, I got a Z06. He got a GTO, and uh, we were locked in. And I was like, "Okay, I got to make it faster." So then I got learned about high compression motors, and it was about thermal efficiency. And I got to wondering. I was like, you know, that thermal efficiency is basically you're breaking down a branch chain molecule, and you're releasing energy. Well, and then I got to thinking, well, how does a plant use energy and store energy? And I was wondering if a plant, like a corn plant could take in a carbohydrate, like a sugar, and break it down. And I was thinking, you know, because of the heat and everything, that might be beneficial in the spring when it's cold. And I just don't know if corn plants have the ability to, I, you know, I scour the Internet. It's just sometimes there's just not a whole lot on there on a lot of stuff, or maybe I'm just not good at using the Google or whatever. Oh, oh there's a lot of stuff on there. Most of it you can't believe. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there. And, you know, you think about that early season, that how much energy we can pack in that seed, John. That's one of the things I know that we've worked on over the years right. is how can we pack more energy into that seed so we can have better vigor early in the season. It goes back to growing that seed the year before and doing everything you can to completely load it up with as much energy as possible. Right, and I get that, but what I'm saying is, is like, uh, you know, basically that, that seedling's using that stored energy in order to get up out of the ground and to produce a, a plant, a small plant, right? It's, it's a produced yep. seedling. Yes. But, you know, especially where you guys are, and me too, I mean, when it gets cold, it gets cold, right? Yep. What I'm saying is, is I was wondering if maybe we could supplement that carbohydrate source, because I was reading about, you were talking about hydroponics and how the, the roots can pull in sugars and put out sugars for the microrhizobia, and there is not that much information on that either, not many studies on that, but that, that I've seen, not readily available anyway. Anyhow, the point being that if you can pull, put out a sugar and you pull in one, maybe you could pull in one just enough, and I see the thing is I don't know if corn can break down a carbohydrate to release heat, because when you break down that branch chain molecule, it's going to release heat. I mean, that's the, the circle of life. I mean, basically, you're breaking down a molecule, it's releasing heat through a chemical you know, a chemical process, and you're getting that heat. So maybe when the corn plants are little, I don't know if it's even feasible, but maybe when they're little and it's cold out, if you had a sugar source available and a carbohydrate available, they could break down. See, my question is, can they break down an external carbohydrate? What we see question. a lot of times, John, is when you put some sugar in the furrow, for example, you're feeding the microbes. The microbes are consuming that, and then the microbes right. in turn are, are helping bring plant food in. But so, unfortunately, we haven't found any big-time yield gains when we put sugar in the furrow because we have tried that in the past. So, sure. I, I mean, there are farmers that are believers in that. It's just we've tried that quite a few times and haven't had a lot of response. There's only one time that we got a, even a halfway decent response out of that. Otherwise, the rest of the times it was failure. I just don't know if it would even be feasible for if a corn plant even has the physiology, which is the word you taught me two, <laughs> two, a month ago. But uh, I don't even know if they have the physiology to uh, – break down a carbohydrate I, I, that's that's my question is because they make carbohydrates but i don't know if they can break down a carbohydrate themselves is really my question 
Sure. Um, I if you don't, hey, it's yeah, cool. I, I get it. You're not a physiologist. I, yeah, I, I yeah. So, will the plant take in sugar in the sugar form? That I right. I yep I I don't know that it will do that. I think Darren had it right on it hit the nail on the head there because we talk about this plants all make the time. Their own sugars. Yep, uh, that plants make their own sugars. The sugar you put in the soil is more than anything feeding microbes, and then those microbes actually will work with the plant to help make some nutrients more available and deliver those to the plant sometimes even. So that's usually what we see. So as far as I know, no, the plant isn't going to directly take the sugar in, but the sugar could theoretically help. Right, right, right. Okay, all right. Um, another, another quick question on kind of a subject. that. Um, so last, last month I was talking and Darren said something about uh, – how my crops are doing. He said it was important for the season, how important it was for the season to get the moisture and everything. And I was just wondering how important that is, how, how much yield potential there is as far as moisture at certain times of the growing season. Yeah, so we do know, for example, with corn, the time that it needs the most moisture is right at tassel. And then they say that a plant might be needing a third of an inch of, or I should say on a per acre basis, corn plants would need about a third of an inch of moisture every single day. So in other words, in three days, that plant needs a whole inch of moisture. But these are just relative and rough figures. Obviously, the higher the yield, the more moisture is needed. But that's why, like, uh, so when we were just talking to Andy, for example, he had really super heavy soil. We have pretty heavy soil too. So we can actually store a lot of moisture in our soil. So that's awesome. So if your soils are a little bit lighter, for example, and you're in a hotter climate, well, you got to have more moisture than we do, unfortunately. So that's just kind of the way it goes and have it hit more timely. So yeah, the, the time when each crop needs the most is typically at flowering in any particular crop we're talking about. Right, 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 right. Okay, the reason I was asking is because, um, you know, I was watching the rain band. See, we always try to get our corn in early to try to hit yeah. that earlier rain because where we are, you know, we're dryland farmers and we have thin ground, like you said. And yep. if we don't get in, you know, the closer you get to spring and then when you get into fall, the rain comes back, but there's like a rain band in there. Yeah. And I was just looking at like, you know, back to that root idea in the ground. If I could get that sucker to where it carried that rain band out farther into the growing season, you know, it's just a theory. Oh, wait, and, it'd be uh, amazing. Yep, we're we're totally with you, John. Hey, uh, hey, John, we got to run here, but it's been great talking to you. Always have excellent ideas. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. You bet. Yeah, there's so much to understand, Brian, in, in how plants are actually doing things. No doubt about that. We love we love the challenging questions and love thinking a little deeper about some of those things, too. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.